0: Pardon? 31st of October 1517. This is Martin Luther. Uh, I don't know why I put age. Um, he was a monk, a theology teacher. He posted 35 discussion points uh, or theses, uh, 35 discussion points not on Facebook, but on the door of the chapel in Wittenberg. And that's a photograph of him doing it. We don't have many photographs of these things, but that's really rather fortunate, that one. Uh, Pardon? What did I say? 95 is what I meant. Yeah, 95. Um, So that... Act, it was really, it wasn't meant to be a, a sort of epoch-making act, but it turned out to be as a trigger point for a cultural, political, economic, and spiritual revolution for Europe. And, and as I was writing this, or going over it again, I was realised this is a very Western thing. If we had, so Angel might take a different view of being somebody from the Asian side of the world, Uh, But this is very much Western theology uh, and Western culture. Uh, So a spiritual revolution for Europe. And then on to the rest of the world, uh, primarily, I suppose, or firstly to the English-speaking world, but the continents of the world, as we shall see. And I would say we still reap the benefits of what Martin Luther started uh, even today in our culture. Uh, even though we're, we're, we're sort of sliding away from Christianity at one speed or another. But there's still we're still a post-Christian society rather than a post-Hindu or a post-Muslim society. Now, how did Martin Luther manage to challenge the Catholic Church, which was 1,500 years old at this point? How did he manage to do that? How did he manage to have the nerve to call it a corrupt church, How did he have the nerve to manage to disagree with the Pope, who, I think the doctrine of infallibility is relatively recent, but he was the big boss. Uh, And the establishment, far-reaching, I've never grown up in Catholicism, some of you might have done, you might have a sense of the the power and the authority structures of uh, what is now Roman Catholicism. Uh, how could he say that he had found, or perhaps better, rediscovered a better way? You know, how dare he? And of course, the answer is Scripture. Um, he had gospel faith in the Bible, uh, uh, faith in God's Word, and this has been called, this, uh, this idea of, of faith in God's Word, the formal principle of the Reformation. Meaning to say, if you like, this is the ground that the rest of the Reformation stands on. So it, 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 what does it say in Scripture is, is, is the principle that you keep going back to. Click. Uh, here is a timeline. Um, we didn't have a timeline this morning, but uh, we've got a timeline this evening. So 0 to 500, 501 to 1,000, 1001 to, and up to the present day. So it's a timeline And uh, so, this is the the Christ. So, this is the, um, going back 2,000 years, this amazing intervention by God into human history, uh, the point to which human history has been tending the fulfillment of the promises of God, the Christ, and all the events of the Christ, his incarnation, his life, his suffering, uh, his cross, his resurrection, his ascension, all sort of bundled together, the Christ event. And then uh, on from there, I put the day of Pentecost on the timeline because this is a moment of explosive fulfillment uh, as uh, this huge change takes place that God's interest is not focused primarily upon one nation, but on all the nations. And there's this uh, explosion of fulfillment Uh, beginning, I would say, on the day of Pentecost. So just looking along this timeline, 397, the Confessions. Who wrote the Confessions? Augustine, Augustine. yeah. So that's sort of along there on that timeline. I'm I'm not really a great expert at all on church history. Uh, Towards the end of that next 500-year period, the Eastern Church and the Western Church split so we then have the beginnings of Roman Catholicism and Greek and other Orthodox churches. And it, it split down the lines of how the Roman Empire had been divided into a Latin-speaking part and a Greek-speaking part. And of course, the churches were Latin-speaking, Greek-speaking, and this produced a fault line, which we still have today. Uh, so going at the next 500 years, uh, 1517... Uh, Lutheran, the Reformation, that's where that incident occurred, uh, you know, nailing the 95 theses to the chapel door at Wittenberg. And then the last 500 years, well, I would think that's reasonably worth noting, Uh, 1738 John Wesley was converted um, and a, a, a great instrument in the hands of God to change many people's lives. Um, 1807 is what I could find when I looked it up, the first Protestant missionaries to China Uh, and uh, so we were sort of thinking there about expansion across the globe, my my information is fairly limited, if somebody wants to correct me they're welcome to do so but I think we're we're sort of in the missionary age there when uh, all the nations uh, here we're talking about Reformation in Europe but it moves on out in, into the into missionaries to India, missionaries to China. again, we probably only know the english speaking ones and there were german speaking ones, etc, et etc. Cetera, et cetera. So little timeline there um, and what we 're thinking about is what was said at that point on the timeline. Uh, a reformation map which I brought over from previous times. Um, conflict within and against 16th century Catholicism. Again, we're in Europe. Uh, Luther in Germany. Calvin and Swingley in Switzerland. The Huguenots in France. Uh, So the the little dots are Huguenot settlements. Uh, They were persecuted more or less out of existence. Um, Calvin wrote very moving letters to the French-speaking missionaries uh, under persecution And, yeah, the the Huguenots, um, some of them came to Brighton, didn't they? Um, My friend, late friend, Frank Orner Ornstein was the pastor of the French-speaking church down somewhere near the Brighton Centre down there. I've never quite worked out where it was. Down by the Metropole. Yeah. You're right. And they did winemaking, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as I say, some of them came to England. Uh, Frank Ornstein was the pastor. Uh, They came over in the, uh, I guess in the, which century am I talking about? Late 1500s, early 1600s. So I always used to joke with Frank that the very few of the original members were still in membership back in the 1960s. And um, John Knox in Scotland, who was said that he preached so powerfully that he would, what was it, ding the pulpit in blats, he'd smash it to pieces, thats uh, it, he was such a powerful preacher. Is that right? Ding or zing? We don't know, do we? But uh, that's what he said, that he would—he was so powerful he would, I will think, he would ding, ding the pulpit in blats. Uh, so anyway, okay, I'm just getting carried away, aren't I? Uh, Henry VIII, uh, Elizabeth I, English Reformation, uh, the prayer book, Thomas Cranmer, and there's also Poland, and if, uh, from Lewis, um, the Lewis martyrs who similarly stood as Martin Luther did for what Scripture said, as distinct from what the Roman Catholic Church was saying. There's apparently a, a martyr from Black Lion Street in Brighton. I'm sorry? Thank you very much, Derek Carver. So let's have a look at how this principle works out in history and works out today and then we'll have a look at what Jesus believed about the Bible. So we'll sort of do it in that order. So um, let's go back to Martin Luther. Now what is at stake for Martin Luther? Uh, The way of salvation, I think, is ultimately at stake. Um, And that goes back to how do you know what the way of salvation is? What is the authority on which you know it to be true? And it it basically boils down to a limited number of choices. Tradition, we've always done it that way. Um, That's how it's always been. Uh, This is what the uh, down through the centuries has been done. Of course, Non-conformist churches like ours are not immune from people saying, oh, we've always done it that way. We can't change anything. We've always done it that way. Whereas Martin Luther would have said, well, actually, what's it saying in the Bible? Um, should we do this not on perhaps on tradition but on the church elite? So you have people in the church who you look up to so much that whatever they say goes And if you're rebelling against them or questioning them, you're questioning God. Uh, The whole thing of priests. Um, So Anglican ministers sometimes refer to themselves as priests. And when they become ministers, when they're set apart as ministers, they would say, some of them, but not all of them would say, they've been priested. So I didn't know you could make the noun priest into a verb, but apparently you can. Um, Not all Anglican ministers would, agree with that verb. Uh, Priests as gatekeepers click, or independent human reason. You know, look at the Bible, well, nobody can believe that. It's not even, you know, what sensible, intelligent person. So this is independent human reason. Again, I'm not a historian, but I understand that there was a time when philosophy moved in the direction of saying Human beings can work out everything for themselves. You just need to think clearly enough. You don't need God. You don't need the Bible. You just think clearly enough and you understand everything. That movement, I understand, was called the Enlightenment. Or is it people's experiences? Um, Perhaps a mystical experience or an inner experience. Does that give the authority to say this is what, is true? Or is it scripture? And these are the sort of choices. Uh, the churches or spiritual lives run on tradition, priests, human reason, independent human reason, personal experience. And this uh, principle that we're looking at is that actually what governs everything. If you want to find the answer to something, you say, what does it say in the Bible? Uh, so that's ultimately, uh, that's the solar means alone, uh, what God says in Scripture. With, just putting it very simply, what the Bible says is what God says. Now, Luther stood on Scripture alone And we could ask the question, was he right to do that? Which brings us to actually what Jesus taught, which we'll come to in a moment. But let's assume that um, we're believing that as, um, as we would be doing, as those of us who are evangelical Christians. So this formal principle, this place to stand for Martin Luther, is actually the place for us to stand too in a confusing world. And... You know, where do we find the way of salvation? We find it in exactly the same place that Martin Luther did. Whoops, click, click too much. So just to use a few more words uh, on this matter of Scripture alone, uh, the Reformation can be summarized with some other something alones. Uh, Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone to God alone be the glory and if you wanted to put it in Latin which makes it much more theological uh, which doesn't really it just puts it into Latin sola gratia, sola fide sola Christus I think sola Christus uh, solo sola Deo Gloria so it just says grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone to God alone be the glory um, so, what this means is that Scripture is the unrivaled final authority in all matters upon which it speaks. So, if you wanted to know the rules of chess, you wouldn't expect the Bible to give you the final word on that. That's, that's not really what the Bible is speaking about. But uh, you could put it this way, um, in all matters upon which it speaks. If, if, if the Bible says something, then that is uh, authoritative. Or you could say, as some way of putting it, in all matters of faith and conduct, the things that we're to believe for salvation, the way we're to live. I mean, it, as I say, the, the Bible doesn't tell you how to how to um, how to ride a bicycle or how to play chess. Um, you have to work that out for yourself. But the things upon which it does speak, it is authoritative, and that carries along with it the idea of: is it clear? So that is called the perspicuity of Scripture. Perspicuity just means clear. And um, the idea being that on all the vital matters, Scripture is clear given that you use the available means. So you just have a think about it. Um, if you read the Bible carefully, prayerfully using available means, which I'll come to a a little bit more in a moment, you will be able to understand it. I think it was Augustine who said of John's Gospel that it is deep enough for an elephant to swim, but safe enough for a child to paddle. And if somebody comes to Scripture and really wants to know the way of salvation, it's clear. You don't need uh, a priest to tell you what it the way of salvation, the Bible has got it clearly per, the perspicuity of scripture, and the alone does not mean that guidance and help are super, superfluous um, help means um, As a community, we can help one another to understand Scripture. So somebody might say, I'd like somebody to take me through Colossians. Anybody like to read the Bible with me? And as we go through, you can explain bits to me. Uh, And that, you know, it isn't just the Bible alone and you go in your corner and read the Bible alone, but you read it with other people and it's clear So reading the Bible in community, having Bible teachers, past and present. I always think a Bible teacher is a little bit like a guide in a stately home. Uh, If you go around a National Trust place or a stately home, which many of us might want to do, and you go into a room and the guide will say, you see that window there? That was put in by the third earl. And the reason that it has that shape Is that he used to like hang gliding through it, and that particular shape is exactly suited to hang gliding through. He wouldn't say that really, would they? But you have, you're not, the guide isn't adding anything to the architecture, but the guide is showing you what's there and pointing out so that you can now say, Oh, yeah, I see that. And I think this is what Bible teachers do, they don't invent truth but they just point out what's already there and help you perhaps to see connections, help you to see the flow and things like that. Of course, uh, the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and we all need help with Hebrew and Greek. It's called a Bible translation, isn't it? So somebody had to do the translating uh, and that person helps us to read the Bible and find it clear and and uh, um, we find the way of salvation. What I'm just saying is you can't really say Scripture alone means give somebody the Hebrew text, send them off into a corner, it'll all become clear. We, we need one another in this uh, sort of Scripture alone thing. And also history helps us because over history, over the period of history, men and women... Uh, Spiritually-minded people have wrestled with new questions that have come up, new objections that have been brought up, uh, new clarification, and uh, God has used people over the centuries in this task of theology to work out things uh, for our benefit that, that perhaps people in other centuries might have never even thought of. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? So, scripture alone means those things. Um, well, looking at it in history, Martin Luther was de- debating whether the church was right to do various things to declare salvation from and to God. So, the, the thing that we always remember is the indulgences, that uh, was it, Tetzel, Friar Tetzel. Uh, had got this great idea for money-making, raising money for the church, that he would say that you pay uh, some money and you pay, we'll pray. Uh, And on the basis of our prayers, your relative, perhaps who has died, will be let off so many years of purgatory. Um, So the selling of these indulgences, I I might be getting the details of it wrong, but that sort of thing... um, When a a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. I mean, he didn't say it in English, but I suppose that's an English approximation. I mean, it's the most crass and um, ugly equivalent of providing salvation, you pay the money. I mean, how far from the Bible could you get? Uh, It's not about Jesus, it's not about grace, it's not about him dying on the cross. It's just really about making money through what you would say priestcraft. Um, The idea that we get salvation through our works, that we have to try harder and our works are added into the balance for our salvation. So this is really saying that what Jesus did is not enough. And How insulting is that to the Lord Jesus? What he did is absolutely enough. We don't have to add our good works to it. Um, I, I have a very hazy memory of uh, pilgrimages that, I don't know, whether did Martin Luther do a pilgrimage? So that he, he crawled along such and such till his knees bled and thought that this would give him um, peace for his soul it might be that yeah and it was a really torturous thing to do and he uh, and he was w- working on the assumption that this would would save his soul but no now his opponents said putting it simply well the pope says so or the church councils have agreed this and luther said unless you can show me from the bible i will not back down so he was sort of put on trial wasn't it and uh, the, the catchphrase that's attributed to him is, here I stand, I can do no other. My conscience is bound to the word of God. So that was the way that Martin Luther tackled or was tackled by issues in those days. Um, and no doubt we'll be looking at some more of those as we go through the other solas uh, in coming weeks But let's have a little think about what we would say on the basis of Scripture. So I've got some uh, possible questions. So a church-going friend says same-sex sex is a matter of people's personal choice. And they say you shouldn't judge. Love is love. You should be true to your heart. If you're a sola scriptura person, what would you say to your church-going friend. So this is somebody who says they're a Christian. Uh, Here's another one. A non-Christian neighbor says, ooh, you're an evangelical. What does that mean? And if you start on, we believe the Bible, uh, then your neighbor says, you can't possibly believe the Bible in this day and age, can you? What would you say there? And um, this one is hypothetical. A member of your church says, the Lord has told me that you must sell your house and be a missionary in Nepal. How would you answer that if you were a solo scripture or a person? So those are, that's the little bit for discussion. Um, what, I'd, what I'd suggest is if you, on this side, start with the, the first one, and if you start with the last one, and then you can sort of, if you've run out, you can try the other ones. Is that, is that okay? So you'll want to start with the middle one. <laughs> yeah? Uh, does that make sense to discuss that? So uh, what should we say? Seven minutes? Um, seven minutes, that's till 12, 12 past. Have a, have a chat about, how, if you're a solo scripture person, how would you answer those questions? Okay, we've overrun a little bit on that discussion. Let's just have a little bit of feedback. we, we I, I didn't allow time for a lot of feedback, but uh, this group here, you were discussing if somebody says, the Lord has told me that you must sell your house and be a missionary in Nepal, what did you think would be a good answer? Could,
1: I think... Yeah. Oh right okay well at least three of us thought that the suitable answer would be well the lord hasn't told me yet yes um but we did have quite an a, a good discussion about it in the sense that i mean the lord guides the lord guides us through his word but also sometimes through other people um but we would all, always go to God's word first. Hmm. Um, and we did spend a bit of time discussing the sort of the middle ground here. You know, there are extremes where, where somebody might say, the Lord has told me and says something which we know to be unbiblical. Um, so there is a sort of but there is a sort of middle ground where w- we need wisdom, basically um, a sort of gray area in, in in the middle. I mean, I think probably Aaron had a couple of quite good points
2: here. <laughs> uh, well, I might, I might have done i can 't remember what they were though. Um. No, no, sorry, I'm blank.
1: Well, the middle ground where... I mean, in this particular case, the Lord has told me that you must sell your house and be a missionary in Nepal. I think we would be foolish if we went home and put the house on the market. But, sorry.
0: It's not automatically wrong, is it? I mean, maybe maybe that is the right way forward.
1: But sometimes people have not, have begun to recognize that God is calling them perhaps to serve abroad through what other people say to them, perhaps. Or perhaps other people recognize their, their, their gifts, which might be valuable in a, in a certain place. Yep. So it, it's not a cut and dried
0: thing. No, but you wouldn't... It's cut and dried in the sense that you wouldn't, just because somebody says the Lord has told yeah. me, you wouldn't automatically do it just on the basis of that.
1: No.
2: Yeah. So one of the things I thought of is that there's an element there, if you were to, if you were to do something along those lines, is this, there's a lack of um self control in terms of you're not really thinking are you you letting someone else think for you you're not running the situation past jesus in prayer and waiting for a response directly it's kind of third party hmm. information isn't it and we know the fruit of the spirit is patience and self control and i think that applies m- not mm. just to our tempers, but mm. in situations where we're um, mm. wondering what to do.
0: Yeah, thank you. I, th- I think there's wisdom in community, isn't it? Uh, if, if, if other people, what, what, what do other people think? Uh, but at the end, it's all got to go through the grid of Scripture, hasn't it? Uh, does this fit with what, what I generally know from Scripture? Um, and the whole wisdom thing, which I think is what you mentioned is informed by scripture isn't it um, yeah thank you very much let's see what what these guys says um, so you're an evangelical Pete <laughs> you're an evangelical what does that mean then <laughs>
3: yeah, <hello>. oh, right. <laughs> yeah so David came up with a very good verse was familiar to us, but yeah, which is um, obviously familiar to all of us, which is 2, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is given for by inspiration of God, profitable for doctrine, reproof and correction for instruction in righteousness. So that was our starting point. But additionally, um, what does it mean? Well, of course, we, we believe in the Bible, but what we can see through the Bible is throughout centuries through the old testament evidence and proof Mm -hmm. so we've got historical evidence we've had over decades and centuries prophetic shadows and pointing towards a savior and to the christ and we've had fulfillment of that and then in the new testament through many many scriptures we can see the fulfillment of scripture so this gives us confidence in the Bible. Mm. The Bible fulfils itself, so we, we can use Scripture against Scripture, if you like. or yep. I don't know a lot of games, but supporting itself. Yep. Um, but even having said all of that, I mean, there is always going to be this element of faith. Yep. So we have to believe it, and that, and that would be given by God.
0: That's right. <laughs> I think we need them. Could ask them to have the microphone, please, so that there might be one or two people listening at home so they could.
4: I, I was asked the other day, um, by some people I know, what makes you think, or what makes you positive that the Bible is true and not the Quran? Hmm. How can you say one is true and the other one's not true?
2: yeah i mean my answer i've been i've a few times in conversation with friends that are atheists or whatever uh, have, have been asked similar things and my stock answer is that I see like Pete was saying about evidence i see i see the the hard evidence in my life i I was a person who couldn 't give up smoking I was chain smoking and doing all you know um, yeah a lot you know and and for it to suddenly end without me really apparently putting much effort in was, was the work of God it was an answer to prayer we saw the prayer and we saw the, saw the answer and I see hard evidence in my life of change which fits in with, with scripture that's how I, I would answer that but yeah the other thing as well is with the Bible you've got 66 books
3: written by numerous different people from different backgrounds farmers, kings, Um, profits um,
5: over a a period of almost, you know, 1,500 years, a long span of time um, that has um, over, as people have said, over the space of time has has been, you know, found to be very truthful and um, very consistent and has had such a kind of wide impact um, across the world.
0: Um, and it's is, is, is far more uh, is, is a more ancient book as well than the Quran. so I mean there were just some, some things that I would think about I mean an answer that I'd love to give to somebody who was saying that was well have you ever read it would you like to read John's Gospel why don't we sit down and read it and then you can make up your own mind I mean that would be a fantastic thing if they said yes wouldn't it um
3: So there was a chap in America who (laughs) who was a complete atheist, (coughs) very, very clever and successful chap. I can't remember his name. And he said, when I retire with all my wealth, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the Bible. I'm going to take all these prophecies and I'm going to check them out for myself. I'm going to disprove this this nonsense. And he basically went through, Mm. as he saw it, sorry, I shouldn't say that, this nonsense, but as he viewed it. And he went through and basically, by the time he'd got through and gone through all these different prophecies and things that basically were fulfilled in the New Testament, he said, well, he was compelled and convicted. And he said, this has to be true. Yeah. Yeah. It was his lifetime's work to, you know, in his retirement to try and do this. I can't remember the name (laughs) of the
0: book. It's a bit like J.B. Phillips, isn't it? Who moved the stone, wasn't it? That that he tried to disprove the resurrection and ended up being convinced by it. I mean, I think one of the things about the Bible is it is ultimate authority and anything that claims to be ultimate authority, the only authority upon which you can prove its ultimate authority is itself Mm. because there is nowhere higher to go to prove it it is the highest point, isn't it? So I, I think that's why people reading the Bible it is, is the only way they're going to be convinced of it by actually reading it and find, yeah, this is God speaking. And Of course, once you've heard that and seen who Jesus is and heard his claims, he, he, he himself rules out other, other ways, doesn't he? And there's only one God but God. So that would be an answer to well, why don't you also believe the Quran? Well, I don't have to, because Jesus has told me it's all there with Him, and I believe Him.
3: Well, you can find errors in the Quran. I'm sorry. There are errors in the in the Quran. Very obvious errors.
0: <coughs> I've never read it, so I would have to take your word for that.
3: I've read yeah, it in English.
4: In English. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. I read a book years ago when I first got saved, and it was a woman, I think she was Iranian and in a Muslim family, but wasn't convinced that Quran was, was you know, the, the word. So she read the Bible and the Quran at the same time to see which one was true. And the more she read it, the more she read the Bible and put down the Quran and then became a believer, and then had to flee Iran and her family. And the title of the book was I Dare to Call Him Father.
0: Yes, it was... What was the name of the lady?
4: I have no mm. idea. Mm.
0: I've read that one as well. Yeah, no, Bilquis Sheikh. Was it Bilquis Sheikh? I'm going to move us on in a minute. Oh, you, you guys haven't had a chance to answer. I know. L- I know. Would, could, uh, would somebody like just to comment on if somebody says, I'm a Christian, but you should be true to your heart? What would you say to that?
6: Um, apologies to everyone else in the group, I've only remembered what I actually said. Um, uh, so, we're, yeah, we, we chatted around these things, and I kind of said, uh, Look at the scriptures, and we see right from the beginning. God creating the world, God creating human beings Uh, we see a picture of a perfect relationship with God which of course was then broken uh, as Adam and Eve rebelled uh, and the same sex Sex is clearly a sign of our our rebellion against our good creator God Um, but what the Bible is calling us to is to, to know God relationship with him being restored, and actually, what what he says is really good for human flourishing. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that is not. Yeah.
0: Thank you, thank you. Let's move on. Um, what what did Jesus think about Scripture? So, I mean, we've we've said what Martin Luther said, and I, I, I'm sure we are in agreement with that. But let's just go back and see. What did Jesus think about Scripture? So, uh, as, as I might have said before, I had a friend who was asking me these similar sort of questions. And I, th- I think one of my responses was, well, what did Jesus make of the Bible? I put those into three groups. Would You can do as many of them as you like, but if, if uh, the group over here starts at the top of the list and goes down... If you would like to start in the middle of the list and go round and if the group over here would like to start at the bottom of the list and go round, we will have, between us have covered all of them and uh, if you give you I don't know, five, seven minutes to uh, look them up just to discuss them uh, what do they, what do these tell us about Jesus' own attitude to scripture? Communication with, I'm he's saying well what do you think the bible is and i'm saying i think it's the word of god uh, why do i think that well i would like to be in alignment with what jesus taught and if jesus taught and thought it that's good enough for me actually so what did jesus teach and think So, we just have one text from each group if anything struck you um, from each group where's the microphone at the moment there. So, could we have a, a text from this group that that is indicative of what Jesus thought about Scripture?
6: Where do we go? Uh, can't we up. Oh, yeah. Chapter 4. Um Yes, so we were just looking at that passage where Jesus is tempted by the devil and uh, Jesus keeps saying, "It is replying to the devil. It is written. It is written." Uh, he has a very clearly has a very high view of Scripture, but of course, uh, someone added um, the devil quotes Scripture back yeah. at him. Yeah, but he's twisting Scripture. He's not using it. Yeah. Uh, why is he? He's using it. Um, yeah, to yeah to tempt Jesus into sin, um, but yeah Jesus knew his scripture, and what a good comment thought yes. very highly of it didn 't he
0: yeah he, he knew scripture, so just taking a verse out of context didn 't trip Jesus up because he knew really the the whole current of scripture, and of course, people do uh, people who are wrong quote scripture i mean jehovah 's witnesses will will quote scripture, but it 's really a question of the right way of understanding scripture, putting it in context, comparing scripture with scripture, not just looking at the bits that you're told to look at, but looking at the whole thing, seeing how it all flows and how it all fits together. And of course, Jesus, the absolute master of picking a verse that that sums everything up um, and, and just answers everything, you know, hits the nail on the head. So, thank you. Let's try the, this, this group. You, you, you were looking at, probably some other verses. Did you have one that came to mind, Jesus' view of Scripture? Uh,
5: The the most straightforward one was um, Matthew 7, 24 to 26. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So yeah, we we thought that um, the rock was very much the the word of God, um, scripture, so that's what we need to be basing our life on.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I mean it's particularly the words of Jesus, isn't it? Whoever hears these words are mine and does them—if uh, you—if you hear the words of Jesus and you don't take them seriously—that's your eternal salvation down the tube, isn't it? Because it is—you you can't separate. You can't say, "Well, I love Jesus, but I don't actually believe what he said," or "I'm not interested in what he said." I mean, lo- loving Jesus is—is is hearing. Taking it totally on board, putting it into practice. And, and, that, and that extends across all God's words, but here it's particularly the words of Jesus. Daniel's looking really puzzled. Have I said something wrong? <laughs> okay, right. Yeah. Can we, we pass it along over here, please?
5: Um, yes. Yes, we saw, well, we're three. I'll just choose the first one. First one it? Yep. So this is um, Jesus speaking in response to a question about divorce. Yeah. Um, so Jesus replied, haven't you read? that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one therefore what God has joined together let man not separate so Jesus is unequivocal what we see in God's word is um, what we should act upon or refute if God refutes it then we refute it if he says it should be like this that the man and woman will be joined um, then they shouldn't be separated because god has joined them
0: yeah. yeah thank you can i just push that a little bit further the uh, in in chapter nine uh, matthew 19:4. just reminding us we're looking at what jesus attitude to scripture was haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made the male and female so this is god the Creator made them female, and said, "So that the Creator says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." Now, actually, if you look back in Genesis, that, those, that is not a quote from the Lord. That is the writer of Genesis speaking. Do you want to look it up? Um, what is it? Genesis two twenty-four. Genesis 2 24. Yeah. The man said, This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, etc. Then the narrator says, verse 24, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to, to his wife, and they both became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's not a quote from the Lord, that is just what it says in Genesis. But according to Jesus, that is the Creator speaking. And I think that, you know, if you just add that little tweak to what Roger said, I think it makes it even more powerful, doesn't it? So what it says in the Bible is God speaking. It doesn't have to be in quotation marks, the Lord said. It just has to be in the Bible. And I I think that is a really, you know, these things produce a really high view of of Scripture, don't they? What what the Bible says, God says. Uh, uh, So thank you. I, I don't... So uh, we've been through all those. Well, what we've been doing is looking at this matter of sola scriptura, uh, the Bible alone, and I'll just go back over what alone meant. We've been saying that scripture has unrivaled final authority in all matters upon which it speaks. It's sufficient um, we don't need anything extra, it is sufficient, it is clear, perspicuity, and all vital matter. scripture is clear. Using available means, for one of them, that most of us will need a translation, but using available means like community, um, helping one another understand the Bible, Bible teachers of the past and present, so the, God has given great Bible teachers to his church, and we were looking at Martin Luther, and um, the, and noticing the historical ba- debates and controversies what, when these questions have come up and they've been debated w- which are the good strong biblical arguments uh, that we can look at Th- this is a gift to us from the Holy Spirit the, the theologians of the past um, who've hammered these things out and we are the beneficiaries of that so that's what we were looking at next week which is it next week? Is it by grace alone? It's one of them, isn't it? either by grace alone, by faith alone, by Christ alone, or or, um, to God alone be the glory. Just coming back to Jesus, he knew his Bible extremely well. And I think that in itself is a challenge, isn't it? He didn't just know proof texts. He knew the whole um, flow of scripture he knew the context of it he knew the way it linked up and what a wonderful uh, thing for us to aspire to I, I challenge myself with this um, to really know the Bible well and I think it's something that you build up day by day by day I have to confess that these days I'm reading little bits from um, Bible notes which is helpful but um I think you know we should aspire to studying scripture and knowing it um, deeply how it connects etc etc. Jesus knew his bible extremely well. His approval covers the old testament and the apostolic new testament because Jesus commissioned his apostles to convey to us the things he said Uh, you remember at that time that 40 day period where he taught them stuff and opened their minds to the scriptures. That's not lost that's what the apostolic writings have, that's the rest of the New Testament um, This is not a bad way of putting it, what the Bible says God says um, If God says it there's no mistakes in it and it achieves what God wants it to achieve the Bible doesn't tell us how to play chess or ride a skateboard but it does tell us how to be saved Jesus was guided by and submitted to scripture and that's a challenge for us too isn't it Um, you know the temptation to solve problems our own way the temptation to um, to uh, go some other way than scripture um, but Jesus submitted to scripture how else will the scripture be fulfilled he said and for us uh, an, evangelical, an evangelical Christian is a gospel Christian who takes the Bible as being the final authority. Uh, and We're an evangelical church, that's the stand we take. And that's not just to be difficult, it's not just because we're sort of people who like arguing. Revering, believing, submitting to scripture is an act of devotion to Jesus. That's what I think. Revering, believing, submitting to scripture is an act of devotion to the Lord Jesus. And he says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And I think that's that's, what we, that's our language of love towards the Lord Jesus, to take seriously what he said, to believe it, and to do it, and to live by it. We're going to stop there. That's the, I've got more slides, but we're going we're, we're to stop there. I hope you found that helpful. Um, it's, it, uh, this is not our main prayer meeting. Our main prayer meeting is during the week, so I don't feel obliged that we should spend time praying before we go home. But we can just offer a simple prayer, which I will do on our behalf, and then we'll wind up. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Scripture. We thank you that we have the way of salvation, the very words of God. Thank you we've been able to mull these things over this evening. Thank you for the great teachers of the past. Thank you for Martin Luther who stood on Scripture because he could do no other. Please, in your mercy, help us to live trusting your word and doing what it says have mercy on us lord because we need help to do this and pray that you'd grant us that help lord before we go home we want to pray for one or two dear people for maureen for um katie